0: Welcome to Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Berard. I am your host, Michelle Berard, founder and CEO of Urban Book Editor, LLC. And I am super, super happy to share this hour with you, where we examine all those places where spirit meets life and the joys and challenges that may bring. Somewhere in the Middle is intended to be a safe place where we can learn and grow together. We discuss a variety of topics ranging from love to politics to money and business and beyond that's because the human experience is wide and varied now you guys know i like to start by thanking miss beverly black and tribe family channel for helping me create this space for us tribe family channel is home to an assortment of thought-provoking shows exploring life spirit business and culture including the woman at the well hosted by miss beverly black herself somewhere in the middle was born on tribe family channel and has grown onto its own platform but we're ever grateful and loyal to our roots To paraphrase an African proverb, we are here only because we stand on the shoulders of those who came before us. I also want to give a shout out to my guest on the June 29th show, Marcus Tony Campbell. You can connect with Marcus on social media and his books are available at Amazon. If you missed that show, make sure you listen to the replay. Marcus shared wisdom about how we can go about changing our lives and pursuing our goals. You can get to the replay by visiting somewhere in the middle at bitly, b-i-t-dot-l-y/slash/somewhereinthemiddleradio, and checking out the on-demand shows. You can find our complete show archives, including the June 29, 2018 show, at bitly, b-i-t-dot-l-y/slash/somewhereinthemiddlepodcast. I also want to shout out Bruce George of the Genius Is Common movement, which encourages all of us to embrace our inner genius and share it with the world. This is a totally vital message that we need to share with the youth. But it's not just for our young people. All of us need to be reminded that the world needs our genius. So don't be selfish. Share your experience. Share your knowledge. Share your gifts. Learn more about the Genius is Common movement at www.geniusiscommon.com. Now, I am so pleased to introduce tonight's guest. His name is Norman A. Carter, Jr., and I want to tell you a little bit about him. Norman A. Carter was born and reared in the north-central section of Philadelphia. After graduating from high school, he enlisted in the U.S. Army and trained as a combat medical corpsman. In 1964, Carter was selected to attend and graduated from the prestigious United States Military Academy Preparatory School and later was honorably discharged with a rank of Specialist 5th Class. In 1967, Norman joined the Philadelphia Police Department. While in the department, he studied administration of justice curriculum for two years at Temple University. He served in various patrol and patrol-related assignments. During his 25-year career, Norman earned two letters of commendation and worked with the Guardian Civic League, which is a local chapter of the National Black Police Association, to increase the number of minorities hired and promoted on the force. He also participated in community meetings as well as radio and television programs to curtail violence and improve the relationship between the community and the police department. In 1977, Carter gave the police department, its Internal Affairs Bureau, and the mayor of Philadelphia detailed information about a criminal organization that was actively facilitated by police officers in Philadelphia. The leader of this organization was eventually arrested and served five years in federal prison. Norman retired as a police corporal in the Narcotics Field Unit in 1992. In 1993, he joined what later became known as the Office of Inspector General, Welfare Fraud Division, where he was promoted to Claims Investigation Agent Supervisor. Norman retired from this position in 1997. In October 1998, he contributed to an expose in the Philadelphia Inquirer revealing the process the Philadelphia Police Department used to decrease crime statistics. An indirect result of this expose was the arrest of a serial rapist murderer who had terrorized Center City, Philadelphia, and Fort Collins. In May 2001, Norman contributed to an expose in the Philadelphia Daily News that revealed the safety hazards encountered by prisoners transported by police officers. This resulted in improved safety provisions for all vehicles transporting prisoners in Philadelphia. Finally, Norman A. Carter Jr. is the author of The Long Blue Walk, My Journey as a Philly Cop, where he details his experience as an officer and a whistleblower, helping to root out poor practices and corruption in the Philadelphia police force.
1: All right, so I would like to welcome my guest, Norman A. Carter, Jr. Thank you so much, Norman, for being on the show with me today.
2: It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me.
1: Well, um, you probably have heard, or maybe have heard, I don't know, that I start off interviews with really just two questions. And that's because I believe these questions have to do with, well, have everything to do with who you are and, you know, why you're doing what you're doing. So are you ready for my questions?
2: I am ready. Yes, ma'am.
1: Okay. So my questions are Norman A. Carter, Jr., who are you, and how did you become who you are today? Who am
2: I? Wow. Big question. Well, it's sort of easy for me to answer. I hope I don't stretch it out too long. Uh, I'm a, uh, I, I grew up as a poor kid in North Philadelphia, uh, probably with some things that were ingrained in me by my parents. Uh, I was always a dreamer. And I grew up as an idealist. I sort of surrounded myself with people as I was growing up, with my playmates and friends, were all people uh, with whom I would sit around and we would talk about our ambitions for the future. We all had it. We all had ambitions, and perhaps mine were a little bit more idealistic. And I was, I really was shooting for the stars, literally, uh, as a as a youngster. As I entered the Army, uh, it was an educational experience for me. I was an 18-year-old kid who knew nothing about life. And as I surrounded myself with people who were older, I uh, developed a a better awareness of, of who I was and what I wanted to do. And in that process, I became very active uh, as uh, far as uh, that was a time when the civil rights movement was really uh, running at full speed, and the country seemed to be in turmoil, somewhat, somewhat like what it is now. And people, excuse me, people were talking about change and and, and uh, 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 affecting change in the in the country and in their neighborhoods. And some people elected to change things outside of the system. I came up with the idea that why not get involved in the system, in the process, and perhaps I personally could affect some change to some degree. Uh, that was my reasoning for eventually joining the Philadelphia Police Department shortly after I came out of the Army. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, throughout my career as a police officer, I, I never lost those. Uh, idealistic points of views throughout my career. I was criticized for it. Uh, at one point, I was uh, punished for it, uh, which I detail in my book, The Long Blue Walk, My Journey as a Philly Cop. But um, I, I remain steadfast. And so I, as far as who I am, I am a person who I believe cares about my community. I care about my country. And uh, my goal in life is to do whatever little bit that I can to make things better—not just for me and the people around me, but for as many people as I can. And I guess I'm sort of an educator, and I'm somewhat of a leader in that in that in that frame frame of mind.
1: Well, it sounds like definitely a leader and an educator <laughs> um, in the context of all that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, you know, I've got so many questions out of what you talked about. And the first one that struck me, the first thing that struck me was, well, actually I have two that struck me right away. One is, you said you grew up poor in North Philly. Mhm. Yes. And you also mentioned that um, you kind of came of age uh, during the Civil Rights Movement correct yes and how similar that is in some ways to what's going on now in our country and i'm i'm curious what was the relationship between the community and the police officers like when you were growing up in your area because mm-hmm. philly is one of those cities that is talked about you know mm-hmm. philly baltimore yeah Chicago, different different areas they talk about and how there's an assertion that the relationship between the police and the community is not good anymore, implying that it was good. So how was it when you were coming up there? Well,
2: I, I talk about this in my book extensively. When I grew up, my ambitions in life were not, my ambition in life was not to be a police officer. That was totally uh, Not in in, in my realm of thinking. Uh, Police officers were feared uh, in our neighborhood. I won't say there was a lot of respect, except for maybe the one or two people who came to our schools or told us about how to cross the street and things like that. Uh, Other than that, day in and day out, we got to see the police at their worst. One of the um, the memories that I talk about in my book is seeing one of my neighbors, who might not have been one of the best of people, but being pummeled in the middle of the street by six to eight police officers. I mean, they were pummeling this guy with blackjacks, punching and kicking and everything. And the aftermath of that is I remember for the longest time this guy walked around with um basically what they call a turban but his head was wrapped in bandages for the longest time and um. that you, you just you don't you don't forget things like that and uh people knew the, the the reputation that the police had is that if you didn't do what the police asked you to do very likely you were going to get beat up and you would hear stories about guys being taken in and beaten across the bottom of their feet with a rubber hose and all these sort of things. And so police officers were not looked upon as being uh, the nicest people. You heard about people who grew up in my neighborhood, one guy in particular, who came in and because he had certain information about certain things in the neighborhood, he came back to that same neighborhood that he grew up in and started arresting people. And he was not looked upon as uh, he was looked upon in a very poor light. So my thinking was, you know, the police department, the law enforcement uh, portion of the United States government—they, their control that uh, they take care of enforcing the laws—and uh, these are the 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 first bit of government that people usually come in contact with the police officers. And my thinking was, well, you know, maybe I can go in there and just make a little bit of difference in my neighborhood. And that was my goal. And mm-hmm. I came in and I, 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 I had that idea, uh, that ideal. And as I went, into, went about my career, as my career began, as I began to get out on the street and interact with the public, I found out that that was not the easiest thing to do. There were a lot of um, uh, barriers. Uh, one of the the first barrier you run into is your coworkers. The second barrier you run into is that lack of public trust. And what I found out is that you have to go out and do what you need to do to let the people know that they can trust you as a police officer, and not worrying about trusting everybody else. But you have to do your little part and. And, and that's what I did. I enjoyed uh, interacting with people. I, I knew what it was like to be abused or mistreated by police officers. So I, I really went—I won't say I went out of my way—to um, to try to create a comfortable atmosphere between myself and the community. But I was just—I just tried to be me. And uh, that led me at at some point to even get in trouble with the community because uh, sometimes people take kindness for weakness. But um, as time went on, uh, maintaining my values and uh, the ideals that I thought would, uh, that a police officer should have and and how a police officer should relate to, to his community, benefited me to a great deal. Uh, I was able to do things like uh, attend community meetings and give people advice or uh, how to handle certain situations, how to handle complaints against police officers, um, even how to comport yourself around police officers maybe in order to keep from saying the wrong things or doing the wrong things around a police officer that, that uh, it may at some point uh, get you into trouble and uh... that's where the the leadership point port part comes in i was part of a uh... an organization that was very much a black police organization called the guardian civic league of philadelphia that was very much involved in going out and meeting with the community and we walked with the community on marches against gang violence um, attended gang conferences uh, to uh, to get these gangs to talking and probably and stop being so violent against each other, um, other community meetings just to give people a, an idea of a different face in the police department and, and not uh, to get rid of that adversarial relationship that so many people had with uh, uh, with police officers. <sighs> Hope I didn't ramble on too much, but
1: uh, no, that's perfect. Yeah. But, so I'm I'm curious, you said that there were issues. One of the barriers was your coworkers. Um, in what way?
2: <clears throat> well, the one thing that you find after you graduate from the even in starting in the academy, is that's that seed is planted of the us versus them uh uh mindset. In other words, we're the guys in blue, we're the protectors of the community, and the people in the community, they don't, they don't know what they're doing. So we are a cut above, we're, we're smarter than they are, we're better than they are, and at, at any point, these people will stab you in the back because they don't care about you. And um, as you go on, after you get out of the academy, that's sort of reinforced by the the veterans one uh, of the department and uh, if you're weak, <laughs> you buy into that because uh, there's a tendency by many to just um, <clears throat> want to get along and be a part of this uh, huge organization. It's a lot of these uh, police officers who uh, that I came on with were like me and I'm, this is crossing racial lines, who came out of uh, backgrounds that were probably uh, lower middle class to, um, to low-income neighborhoods, and uh, this was an opportunity to have a job where you were making $8,600 a year, which was a lot more than a lot of people were making, doesn't sound like a lot of money now, but there was a lot of money in those days. And, uh, so people began to, you, you, you value your job and in valuing your job, you don't want to rock the boat. And, um, I was not that person. I was, I think from the very, very beginning, I started rocking the boat ever so gently, (laughs) But, (laughs) but, um, I just could not be me. I couldn't stand by and see people abused. Um, I couldn't stand by and 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 uh, just see uh, police officers doing the wrong thing. And um, for what happened with with me and my little portion of the world is that I realized that when other officers were around me, once they knew. Uh, my demeanor and things that I wouldn't tolerate. Officers uh, didn't curse at people when I was around. Uh, They didn't luff up people when I was around. People just didn't get abused when I was around. Number one, not because they were afraid of me, but because they didn't trust me because heaven knows that they would do something and I might report them to someone. So for, for, uh, it's definitely my first, I would say, four or five years on the police department, um, after people knew what I would tolerate, uh, they wouldn't, i I never worked with veteran officers. They would only put new officers with me uh, who were directly out of the academy, and those officers would stay with me for about uh, maybe two, three months until they got acclimated to the street, and they would move on. And then uh, there was another graduating class. They would put those those new officers with me. But I, after my first year, I I guess my first seven or eight months probably, I never worked with a uh, with with a veteran officer, which was fine with me. Fine with me.
1: Interesting. So there was basically was it by your choice or by someone else's? Uh, decision that you didn't work with veteran officers after a while?
2: Perhaps you'll understand this if I'll give you a small story. Okay. Uh, I was I was assigned to my own personal car, which was a status symbol at that time. And one of the officers who was a veteran officer who had a sector adjoining mine, his car was broken down, so they paired him up with me one day. Mm-hmm. And we were riding, it's a Friday evening and about six thirty, seven o'clock, and we're riding down the street, and the officer looks at me and he says, there, We see a man walking down the street, a middle-aged African-American male walking down the street. And he says, That's our vice pitch, which uh, vices are crimes like uh, at that time, and I'll shorten it up, will be illegal lottery at that time. And I says, Oh, I says, you, he writes numbers, and that was the phraseology that you used. And he says, Oh no! He says, "We're just going to lock him up, and we'll put a piece of paper in his pocket with some numbers. And that'll be it." And <laughs> I seriously, this actually happened, and I and I talk about this in my book. And I was livid. I'm usually uh, soft-spoken and mild-mannered, but I lit into this guy. I mean, it, it was awful. And I, you know, and I told him, "I don't." I, I grew up with that. I'll, and I am never ever going to work that way. I will never ever do that to anyone because I saw that done to people as I was growing up. So the very next day his car was still broken down but he worked with another person mm-hmm. and what I found what I found out is that he went to his to our sergeant and related to him the incident that had happened and after that uh, no the word got around the whole squad that I didn't do this particular act. I didn't set people up or falsely arrest people, and uh, no one wanted to work with me. And I was fine with that. I was fine. Wow. So, yeah. But but that was the the way things worked then. And I've been told I, uh, from officers who I currently speak to or on the, who are who currently work. Uh, do police work, that to some degree those type of things still exist, where um, if you're not assertive in in, in your character and and maintaining a high level of integrity, uh, you're you're going to wind up in a bad place. And uh, initially those officers who have that, high degree of integrity and refuse to go along just to get along. uh, They become pariahs, and people tend not to want to work with them. Uh, My career led to the extreme, uh, where at one point um, in the district that I worked to, because I reported a criminal organization that was facilitated by police officers. Oh, wow. uh, Yeah, it was... um, no one in my district spoke to me, no one, absolutely no one. And what happened is that there was such outrage that I had reported this activity, which was criminal activity by police officers, that my sergeant began to falsify uh, uh, violations (laughs) against me. And my lieutenant was also part of that and my captain also they were all part of that because uh... the the word was uh... that came from on high that we need to do whatever we can to get rid of this guy and that guy Wow! Was and what happened is that I led a pretty straight-laced life and mm-hmm. uh, not that I was angelic or anything but mm-hmm. uh... they it got to the point um, and i don't want to take this out too far but uh where i had uh the police internal affairs unit and other people following me for three months that i know of and my phone was tapped for three months that i know of the idea being this guy is going to cause it's going to be a problem and we need to get rid of him and what we need to do is um ruin his character so that in the event that he says or does something in the future or reports us that will that his, that his integrity and his veracity, uh, will be questioned and we'll be fine.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But, uh, but that didn't happen. And, um, it was, it, it, it got to be very convoluted. I, it, I was really, uh, bitterly treated for about two years, but, um, I didn't change who I was. And eventually I went outside of the police department and, um, Contacted a task force, which was composed of some police officers, who went in and basically arrested the leader of this ring. Not the police officers, but wow. those police officers, uh, somewhere down the down the line, a, a lot of them went to federal prison. Uh, really? Shortly, shortly thereafter, that um, one was a guy that. Um, he became a captain. He replaced my captain, who they, because of my complaint, they got rid of him. Uh, they didn't fire him, but they put more or less hid him in a different unit. But uh, um, because the corruption there was so bad, but this uh, new captain who came in was someone who I had trained as a rookie. And I warned him about the conditions in that, that particular district and he uh didn't heed my warnings and he really jumped uh foot first into this uh bin of uh corruption and uh he wound up uh being caught arrested and sentenced to 15 years in federal prison wow so he, he was among several uh this particular uh I don't. I forget the exact numbers, but there were people involved from the deputy commissioner all the way down through to police officers on the street. Many of these police officers I had worked with. Uh, at one point, there was a rumor that the um, FBI wanted to get in touch with me to uh, to to offer testimony against some of these uh, police officers, but that uh, that didn't happen. Mm, but uh okay. there were total there were almost 40 police officers arrested in this uh, really real big mess and and that was not the end of the harassment against me it that went on years after years later and years after i left the police department uh,
1: after you left but, as well
2: oh absolutely in fact um, and it's it's a long long story but Uh, that is part of the reason why uh, I had to move out of Philadelphia and move to the uh, Atlanta Georgia area because the the harassment had gotten to be that oppressive that uh, I was living basically living like a hermit Um, there were there were attempts to uh, fabricate things you know against me and uh, it was, it was best for me to leave. At one point, uh, I tried to get uh, some uh, lawyers involved, but um, so the, the legal community at that time, and this was towards the end of uh, the late 90s, were afraid of <clears throat> anything involving the police department, challenging the police department. That's changed. Um, that's changed somewhat. Um, mm-hmm. whistleblowers are no longer they' no longer run away from whistleblowers. They sort of embrace them. Um, but I had I had no such protection at that time. and but I was able to effect some changes. I was uh, part of a um, contributed to an expose on uh, how police had uh, uh, changed or falsified crime statistics. In order to make the city look better, in order to attract uh, tourists. And that was uh, highlighted uh, in, a, in an expose in the Philadelphia Inquirer and in the Philadelphia Daily News. It also resulted in a, an appearance by me on uh, the Dateline NBC TV program. Uh, wow. Concerning that, uh, two years later, I was part of uh, changing the policy on how police. The, the police department in Philadelphia transported prisoners because prisoners were being transported in these police wagons with no seat belts, no uh, restraint, and mm-hmm. people were getting injured. And uh, as a result, I believe that was 2001, 2002, uh, that policy changed. Unfortunately, that policy was not embraced by Baltimore which right. uh, a few years ago, the incident with Freddie Gray, very mm-hmm. similar circumstances where uh, you have somebody in the back of a police transport vehicle not being restrained, and it's very, very easy for someone to be injured in that type of, that type of situation. So I was able to affect uh, some changes in those, at least those two areas, which I thought were very, very important. But, that is important. Yeah, and again, I hope I didn't go on too long. And, 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 and even now, um, I, as, as recently as uh, several months ago, I contributed to a federally funded project on um, public corruption because I'm one of the few people who uh, was not involved in any corruption, who reported corruption, and who suffered retaliation for uh, reporting that corruption, and there's there's just tons of documentation about that. So wow. I, my my situations would considered to be very unique, and um, so it was. It's very interesting. So it's it's still a process that I'm involved in. Uh, I, I'm it, it, my goal is to just effect some changes and empower the uh, people in the community and people uh, who are police officers to uh, to speak up, speak out, and stand up when they see criminalized police officers uh, behaving in a way that, uh, that affects the community that we're sworn to serve and protect. And I know it sounds idealistic, uh, but it's, this is what I was sworn to do as a law enforcement officer. And if that's what I was sworn to do, then that's what I, I intended to do. And I think that every person who puts on that uniform uh, needs to be respectful and mindful of how the public needs to be treated. And even if that involves reporting officers who are not conducting themselves properly.
1: Well, you know, this brings up so many more questions. So my first question I really want to get to mm-hmm. is about, and you you didn't mention this directly, but I think that it's important to ask this question of an actual um police person, such as yourself, there are people who assert that basically the cops are supposed to shoot you if you try and get away. Like, they're not allowed to let you get away. I've heard people assert something essentially like, well, you try if you run, what do you expect them to do? And my thing was, well, I don't think that their police duties... Or responsibilities and rights and privileges and resp- uh, really involve extrajudicial killing, though. Um, and so my yeah. question mm-hmm. is very specific. It's if I'm running from you, right? Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, yeah. you per- you perceive mm-hmm. that I'm running from you. You could have been trying to get somebody else, and I start running because I don't know what's going on. Um, yeah. Do you as a police officer have the right to then just kind of pull out your gun and shoot me because I was running?
2: Uh, no. Simple answer. Absolutely no. You're only empowered to to use deadly force uh, when confronting someone who is confronting, very important, uh, someone who is about to, uh, who's coming at you with deadly force, or you're, t- you're you're attempting to save the life that, of someone that they're going after and they're using deadly force, or someone who, who is uh, committed a, f- a forcible felony and they're like uh, a robbery or something and you know they're running away with, the, they, they have a gun. Uh, but at some point, it's not just a matter of them running away from you and chasing you, you have to be in fear of, of your life, and uh, there, there have been court decisions uh, that have been made against police officers who uh, were chasing someone and just shot them because they were running faster than what they were. Okay. Uh, that's,
1: that's just not
2: uh, permitted.
1: So let me ask another question, then related, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. this is one I have trouble with. If somebody has a knife, they might mm-hmm. be facing you, but they're basically standing there with a knife. Is that then grounds mm-hmm. to to shoot them? Is that grounds to just shoot somebody?
2: I tell you, there's there. I'm sure that there may be a situation where someone who actually is lunging at you. I can tell you an incident that I speak of in my book when I was a rookie officer where a, uh, a, a gentleman threatened a group of police officers that he was going to stab the first one who came at him. And there were about 10, eight or nine of us, maybe ten, who had this person surrounded. And I was a young rookie. And the first thing I did, well, this guy's got this big knife I'm looking at, him, and I unsnapped my holster veteran police officer t- just tapped me on the arm and waved his hand and says, no, no, not that. So what they did is they engaged this person in a conversation. At some point, he was distracted by the conversation. And while he was distracted and his attention was on one person, another police officer was able to knock the knife out of his hand. He was subdued without any injury. Um, and that incident stayed with me throughout my career. And Mm -hmm. I, 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 I look upon even today where people say, well, he had a knife. Okay. How far away was he from you? (laughs) And if you had enough space to stand back, you know, do you, did you have something else available to you? Now, perhaps you don't, perhaps it's a situation where. Someone is running at you with a knife, and this is something that happens in the second. and You have to make a split-second decision. And in in, in that type of situation, I can see where uh, the the use of deadly force would be uh, appropriate. Uh, But someone just standing there with a knife in their hand, and they're 10 feet away from you, I, i don't see the justification or why you would have to, to shoot them. Uh, because the, the, the degree of danger that you're in is limited. And you have, I'm not saying that you need to run. I don't want to see police officers running away from people. That's insane. But, uh, Today they have other tools that are available to them. You have uh, things like maCE, which a lot of people don't realize are, are not is, is not effective effective on people who are either intoxicated or people who are uh, I don't want to say insane but don't have full possession of their mental faculties. Mm-hmm. It has it has limited impact on those people, and a, a lot of people in the public do not know that. Mm-hmm. And so those those people can be with mason. they'll still come at you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, and this is another reason why uh, in, in 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 situations like that, it's better to have to, to be. Uh, to be in that situation with another officer or other officers involved because then your your options increase and the need for deadly force decreases. Um again, if someone is running at you full force with a uh, with a knife and and I mean they're uh proximal to you and you have no other option, then you need to do whatever it is to take to protect your life. We're we're not employed to uh, to sit there and, 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 and be stabbed and, and say, okay, well, you know, I'm gonna let this guy stab me and he'll somebody else will catch him. That's not the way it goes. Um, when you step into a situation, and I'm talking about a, a criminal or a person, and they step into that, that arena where they are initiating a deadly force incident then things can escalate rapidly. and um,
1: Can I ask a, a related question, though? Because, sure. <clears throat> I, I mean, it, it, I guess I, I expect
0: mm-hmm.
1: be, and maybe I have an unrealistic expectation as a citizen, but <clears throat> aren't police officers trained in some kind of hand-to-hand combat also? Uh, yes. So why is a gun the first thing that they go for? I'm just curious no, because, and, that, and that's and that's not true.
2: The gun is not the first thing that you go for, uh, and, that, and that's why I mentioned uh, the, the officers today. They have mace, we have uh, tasers. Uh, they don't always work in this, in in those situations. And again. Uh, as I, as I said earlier, if someone's standing about 10 feet away from you and they have a knife, they're no threat. They're not a threat. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there's a role to talk down and reason and, and, and make an attempt to reason with that person. Doesn't always work, but right. that's, a, that's, your, that's always your first option. Always mm-hmm. your first option. Uh, The second option is to a person standing that far away is a non-lethal Resolution now, you're not going to get into uh, You you initiating some sort of a hand-to-hand combat someone's coming at you with a knife well that doesn't work because you're at a disadvantage and uh, again a person who is Who makes a decision? To come at an officer or anyone else uh, with deadly force, with a weapon, with a deadly weapon, then things escalate. Uh, if I, if you're three feet away from me and you're running at me with a knife, I need to do the first thing I do to, you know, to protect myself. That 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 could be uh, if I have a baton to perhaps parry, make an attempt to parry. Uh, the knife away from to hit the knife at the hand with the mm-hmm. knife, or to try to duck out of the way and perhaps uh, disable you in some other manner. But if that persists, and, and this happens, and I, and I mm-hmm. uh, then then the officer has to do whatever it is to protect himself. And mm-hmm. sometimes, in a in a deadly force situation. And someone—I'm not talking about someone with a penknife. We're talking about a decent-sized knife. You—you—you uh, you, you really have to do what it takes to protect yourself. And that's not. Um, now we have the Kevlar vest and all that sort of thing, they don't protect your uh, your neck and your, and your head, face, and arms. Right. And so you can you can be you can be seriously injured. But again. Uh, your training teaches you how the, the different degrees of uh, reaction that, that you need to go through, the different steps you need to go through it before you get to deadly force, deadly force situation. I, I can recall an incident um, similar to what you're talking about where a, my partner, I went into a supposedly a, a uh, domestic disturbance. And mm-hmm. what the lady didn't tell us was that the man had a gun. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and what we did is, and this is sort of humorous, we had the woman lead us back to the house. I asked her, okay, will you lead us because she doesn't know us. And the door had a large uh, window. And she rings the bell and knocks on the door. And the guy comes to the door, and he has a rifle in his hand. And he's coming right at us. Well, what we did is all three of us ran. We ran to a gate and made sure we were out of his line of fire. And he eventually came to the door and he didn't realize that we were there. And once he saw that we were there, he, he dropped a weapon. Now, that very easily could have been a situation where We see the man coming with a rifle to the door, and we says, "Oh, he's got a rifle. He's coming to the door. Well, you know, that's deadly force, and we're going to react and shoot him. Not always the right thing to do um, in a situation like that, where you have other options available to you. Uh, You take you take those you take those options." it's 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 risky. Every situation is every situation is different. Uh, there there is there is especially and we'll go back to the knife. Time, distance. Uh, how how quickly is this happening to you? I mean, there someone could be laying an ambush for you. You don't have to think. Well, okay, I need to go through a process here uh, before I use deadly force. Your perception is that your life is in danger. Somebody jumps out the bushes with a gun or a knife and then you're going to have to react in the most profound way possible at that time. And that is not always a situation where you can negotiate or you have time to say, well, you know what? Let me reach for my taser and see if I can get this out and maybe I can stop him. You're not going to stop a person running full bore, uh, at you and they're a short distance away with the taser that that's just not going to happen it's not going to happen with mace because they they're still are coming they're they're in a short distance they're coming at you and you just have to right. do whatever you do at that time uh, it's it's one of the things that i uh when i speak to groups and i talk about the whole thing about resisting arrest um uh, which unfortunately has resulted in a lot, too many, too many deaths in this country. And it's because people believe that you have a right to resist arrest just because you don't feel like being locked up. And no, resisting arrest should not lead to deadly force in every incident. should not, absolutely should not. But the problem is that once you take it upon yourself to escalate a situation that could easily be resolved by your surrendering, could easily be resolved by your surrendering, once you take this step and say, you know what, I am not getting locked up today, I am not letting the bank with handcuffs on me, I'm going to resist. Things escalate. And let's forget about what's right or wrong. Let's forget about that because that's where people make their mistake. You don't
1: I don't. Right. I don't, I'm gonna push back on mm-hmm. that. I don't think you can forget about what's right or wrong when you're being wronged. If you're just standing there minding your own business and no, you're no, getting no. arrested for no reason, I don't know if no. you can forget about what's right or wrong and say, okay, I'm gonna just go with this guy or gal. No, hold on. You hold know. On. This,
2: this, this, <laughs> this, no, no, and, 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 and perhaps I'm not, I, I didn't get a chance to clearly explain myself. Okay. As I as I explain when I talk to groups, mm-hmm. and I and I, this is the philosophy that I used even my even in my work when I'm talking to my supervisors. You know what? You don't have to be right right now. You can be right tomorrow. And when and your you perhaps the officer is completely wrong. Perhaps he's he's saying you did something that you didn't do. The problem is that once you begin to, resist, if he says, if the officer says, okay, you're going I'm taking you and you're going to go with me. Well, officer, I didn't do this. You got the wrong person. Okay, but you still have to go with me. Okay, now you say, I'm not going. What happens? Situation escalates. I've seen too many people in recent years die. They could have lived and be alive today if Dan says, okay, you're wrong, but I'm going to go along with you and I'm going to prove you're wrong later on. If you're going to take it on the street and say, okay, I am not going with this officer under any circumstances, you're taking it upon yourself to
1: escalate that situation. And I'm saying that the officer is wrong. Let's, let's say I that think that's know. I think that's problematic, and I'm gonna I'm no, gonna no, no, tell you why no. I think it's problematic, because that assumes that you have the resources to prove that the police officer was wrong, and so many people that this happens to don't have the resources to then get a lawyer and all this other stuff to quote unquote prove their innocence. And and we know for a fact already, this has been documented, and you yourself talk about it, that there are police officers who arrest people who have done absolutely nothing wrong. They know they've done nothing wrong. So if you're poor, and Mm -hmm. so you're saying basically you should just be glad to get away with your life if you've been falsely arrested. No, 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 no. That's and what it sounds dear, it, like, I'm, and I'm giving you pushback for a reason yeah, because I've I seen it myself. So I that's why I'm asking these questions.
2: And this is where my black activism and my love of my people comes. Come, come, this is where they come together. I have. I know what it's what it's like for um, people to be wrongly arrested. I've seen it in my neighborhoods. As I, as I grew up, I've seen it as an adult. Heaven knows I was almost a victim of the same thing uh, during and after my police career, uh, particularly after, which is the reason why I had to leave Philadelphia. else. But the idea is I'm trying to save people's lives. I'm thinking about people like Michael Brown. I'm thinking about the the, the, the man in New York who uh, you can hear. Eric Gardner. Eric Gardner, who you can Mm -hmm. hear say, you know, don't touch me. Uh, he, He wouldn't let the officers put the handcuffs on him. He died. I don't want my people to die. I want my people to live. I want my people to fight for their rights. I really, really do. And, yes, there are bad cops, and that's why... Uh, my in, in in my book and in the and meeting people i am yelling i i am pleading for good cops to stand up and, and 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 expose the bad cops who do these things who make these false arrests uh who do these things on purpose but i don't want my people to continue to die I, and 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 and, and yeah i understand about About poverty and not having representation and and all of this but let us let let's let's live let's There there are lawyers there are groups out there who 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 champion uh, this type of thing these type of abuses of authority but to to start telling and this is what's happening now to start telling young people that whenever you think that you have been mistreated by a police officer that, or, or falsely arrested, that you have to you have the right, the absolute right, to do whatever is possible to resist being taken into custody. Do you how many battles do you think mm. these
1: young people will win? How many battles do you well, think? Well, I've never heard anybody I've, I've I've never heard anybody say that. No I have not heard anybody yeah. say do whatever it is to resist. That's but I do think that we have an obligation to state that we're aware of our rights number 1. Oh, absolutely. When we are absolutely. aware of them and number 2 the reason I ask this question is I've seen just I mean they I have seen officers take advantage of people who do not speak English as their first language. Mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. poor people and my my assertion would be sure that's fine go on to jail go ahead and accept mm-hmm. that but then when you're when that. it's but wait let me finish but when mm-hmm. when if you cooperate you go on to jail you go on and go through the process the city has to reimburse you or the state has to reimburse you for all of the costs that you've incurred mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. um if your car has been impounded if you're, uh, you know, wrongly impounded, if your kids have been taken and put into the system because you were taken away, and you maybe you're a single parent, um, the city should have to pay restitution, and those police officers should have to pay restitution for your time and the money that you had to spend to fight mm-hmm. all of that, the time you lost from work. People lose their jobs over this. Um, you know, people lose income. People, people go into debt. Mm-hmm. And, and they lose fun. faith in the system. So, exactly. in addition to all of that, there are actual hard costs that poor people cannot afford.
2: I, and I, I, I totally agree because remember, I came from poverty. I'm, I truly understand. I have heard people, as I was growing up, come up and and, and they would we would they would come to visit my parents, not me, mm-hmm. and tell me how. Uh, the police set them up, or the police planted stuff on them, and and, and usually in those days it was for uh, illegal lottery, and yeah, and those and and those people become haters, hatred of police, and those hate that hatred usually takes uh, when it gets it gets to the point where you have riots like they had in uh, in, in my city, particularly in 1954. Mm-hmm. Where my entire this is 1964. My entire neighborhood was destroyed in a riot, and this is mm-hmm. 2018, and that neighborhood still has not come back. So, uh, but but that's a whole other issue. The the, right. the issue is that people become frustrated. They become anger because they feel that no one's listening to them. No one cares, and uh These type of situations happen where there's just an outburst of this outburst of anger not just at police officers but the system because the system does not protect them i I, I truly understand that, but on a, on a smaller level on a smaller level i I just encourage young people especially young people coming up that it's okay to say. I didn't do this. Officer, you got the wrong person. I didn't do this. I was doing such and such and such and such and such and such and such. And I was doing that. If it gets to the point where you are physically resisting the arrest, even though, and, and there's a law, that I know there's, uh, Georgia law is a little bit different, but I do know that Pennsylvania law states specifically that you do not have the right to resist even an unlawful arrest, because that's what the courts are for. And I know that poor people get caught up will get caught up in this. And and and, uh, and and as you said, sometimes the system works against us. Uh, often the system works against us for those who can't afford proper legal representation. I, I'm aware of that. I, I I just don't want to see my people resisting to the point. Or any people, anyone, resisting to the point that it leads to an to an an escalation where somebody dies or somebody is is, is, is seriously injured. I, I'm I like to see that stopped, and, and we can only do that by by educating the public. And and yes, you know. I... I, I I am totally against I, I, I I've written a book about police abuse of authority
1: mm-hmm.
2: and 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 and, um, and, and criminalize police officers absolutely and uh it's very unusual and almost doesn't exist for a police officer to 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 write about this and have it chronicled uh, right. and, and even actively during his career. Uh, and this, this can be if anyone ever investigated my put my my record as a police officer, so you can see that these are these are true. That I fought against these things while I was a police officer, uh, active, and, uh, and, and 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 took and and, uh, and and took a lot of retaliation for it. Uh, wish I didn't have to go through it. But on the other part, other part of it is, at one point. At one point, do you elect to lose your integrity? At right. one point, do you say, do you do you sell out the public that you're sworn to protect? At, at one point, do you lose yourself? I was determined not to lose myself. Uh, I have to wake up in the morning and look at myself every day. And right? How could I look at myself if I see an incident where, um, and I, I talk about the the, the first. Encounter I had with something like this was a police officer had to transport a woman in the trunk of a car And I didn't know it at the time. I didn't find it out until he absolutely let her out of the trunk Wow, and I was I was enraged I was so enraged I was going after this guy and another police officer uh, African-American police officer grabbed me I had about uh, I didn't have quite a year on the police department and uh, he pulled me away and pulled me into a different room and said, look, he's, that guy's wrong. But if you go after him, uh, you're going to be in trouble because you're a rookie. And my thing was, well, you know what, I'm going to report it. And uh, what he said was, you know what, you've only got less than a year on. You've got five police officers in here who've got, Five, ten, fifteen years on the police officers, on the department, sometimes twenty they're going to say that you're lying they're going to say it never happened. so who do you think the internal affairs will believe and say so what happens what will happen is that they'll still be here, but you'll be going because you have less than two years on the police department, so what we did. Uh, is that we protected that woman. We stood there till other people came along and properly got this woman out of the situation. That was the way we handled that. Now, years later, after I had established myself and had been vested in the job, I didn't have to put up with that type of thing when I saw it, and I took action, I spoke up, I stood up. Uh, did it make me uh, 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 endear me to a lot of people? No. It did not. It did not. And I mean, I don't think I was the only police officer who who uh, who, who who did that type of thing. But I knew that that I did wouldn't let those things happen around me. And one of the things that uh, that I talked about when we went to community reading, uh, right. meetings was the proper way to uh, report a police officer police officer misconduct. And people who they could go to, not just to go down there by yourself, but to go down there with, with other people. Never to uh, report uh, misconduct like, like, while why you're by yourself, because that's a, bad, that's a bad idea. Take a friend, take a lawyer, which is, which is better. Um, and even instances where a person resists arrest, you're only supposed to use enough force to consummate the arrest. When it goes beyond that, you've made the arrest, and we've seen an incident, I think, down there in uh, New Orleans, I think it was New Orleans, where the man was on the ground. Baton
1: Rouge, Baton Rouge, yes,
2: yeah, a situation like that, Um, that's above and beyond. That's above and beyond. Uh, there, there is, well, that's there what there happened is, out
1: here in California at Fruitvale, mm-hmm. where, where the yeah. kid was at the train station. He's already on the ground, handcuffs, and the cop says he thought he pulled out his taser. I'm not sure if a taser feels exactly like a gun, but... It does not. <laughs> it um, does not. But they it that was not. his story, and he was sticking to it. I'm going to ask you another question because you mentioned something else that was interesting to me. You mentioned about um, lawyers um, being afraid to um, go after police officers and or get involved in those kinds of complaints and I had an an incident where there was a, 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 a ticket that probably I shouldn't have gotten and so I decided to fight it. And the lawyer told me, well, you know, lawyers don't want to go after um, police officers and judges because th- those are their friends. That's who they hang out with on the weekend. That's who they barbecue with. That's who, you know, that this is a little community of people. And so they don't, they don't. Um, they don't want to fight with their friends, that these relationships are important for their career and also for their personal lives. Is that part of what you feel was going on back then when when the lawyers seemed like they were unwilling to get involved, or was well, there something else going on?
2: I think that some of what you say is true. I think the, the other part of it was that, um, when, and I'm talking this to a few years ago, and things are a little bit different now. First of all, there was no, when I, the years that I'm talking about, there was no whistleblower protection uh, in, in those days. So officers were reticent, They're, I mean lawyers were, were reticent to represent anybody in a situation like me where you're being retaliated against because you're blowing the whistle on something bad. And uh, there's no upside for them. And now if you have probably resources where you are fairly well off and you can afford a lawyer who is going to uh, take your money and and get in there and fight the good fight for you uh, that probably but that's that's such a rare incident because when do you hear about rich people getting abused by police and where they would have uh-huh. to go and, and and do that uh and are are some of these lawyers sometimes drinking buddies of judges and other police officers? Uh, probably, yeah. They they interact and uh, they play their roles in the courtroom, and then when that's over, uh, heaven knows what happens. Mm-hmm. I don't think that happens a, a, a great deal, but it is it is a reality, especially when you deal. In small communities, such as even Atlanta, uh, mm-hmm. which which really, in, in, in my mind, is a small community, mm-hmm. uh, uh, those things can happen. Those things have an effect, and uh, the 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 worry is that okay, whose apple cart am I upsetting? Is this going to adversely affect me down the road? And I'm talking about the lawyer. What is, right. is this a win? Is this a situation where I can, I don't mind losing, but am I really going to lose? Am I going to lose contact? Am I going to lose some other associations that they may have? Uh, In the real world, they look at these things. Unfortunately, it leaves people like you or I at a huge, huge disadvantage, huge. Um, And it's, and it's, it, it, it's, it's sad. And, and as I said uh, uh, at, at a uh, university not too long ago, none of these things happen in a vacuum. And, and this is why I, 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 one of the things that I really try to call upon is police officers to speak up. Because these officers who issue tickets just because they feel like doing it and t- they, wanna, they want to uh, they have a quota, that they're trying to fulfill, or they have an ax to grind, or they're, for whatever reason that they're doing, which is issuing a summons or taking some sort of action that has absolutely nothing to do with enforcing the law, is that other police officers that they work with know that this is going on. They know that, and they have the power. They have, in my mind, the responsibility to the community to speak up and not be silent. Um, yes, will they be retaliated against? Uh, sure, in the beginning. But if enough officers are standing there and speaking up and saying, yeah, this is what this guy's doing, guess what, the retaliation ceases, it stops. They become the powerful. The good guys become the powerful. And then the bad guys tend not to do what they do. Uh, officers do, bad officers, bad cops, do what they do because they know that they can get away with it or they feel that they can get away with it. And if all the officers know about it, no problem because no one's going to speak against it. Um, that's bad. It's bad for the department. It, it, it diminishes the, the, the uh, public confidence. It, it, it destroys it. Particularly in the communities where it needs it the most. People in 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 in, in communities and low-income communities, middle-income communities, they need to feel like the cops are on their side. They need to feel that. And uh, once that trust is gone, it's very difficult to get that. Very very difficult to get that. Um, and it's sad. And my goal. Go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah. No, no, no. Go ahead, because I, I, I have a follow up yeah. question to what you just said. No, and and that's
2: where, and that is my heartfelt goal, to 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 um, to end that feeling of, of of an adversarial relationship between the police and their community. And the only way that that happens is if police officers are actually held accountable. To the highest degree possible for their behavior, and when they make even the smallest of mistakes, I'm not saying they need to be fired for every little mistake, but um, they they need to be held accountable, and they are uh, responsible. They're the guardians of the community, and public trust is so important because. It works both ways. It's a protection for the officers. It makes their life easier. It makes life better for the people in the community when there's that that that, that trust. And once that trust is eroded, as I said, it, it's very difficult to get back, very, very difficult to get
1: back. Well, I have a question then. And mm-hmm. um, we're coming to the top of the hour, so we're going to mm-hmm. go ahead and wrap up. But mm-hmm. what... Advice would you give to someone who is thinking about going into law enforcement right now?
2: Okay uh, it's not a career for everyone. Uh, if you have uh, high ideals, uh, you, you are a, a very good character and you and you are steadfast and strong in your beliefs um, in, in 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 doing a good job uh and embarking on a on a on a what I consider a great career. But when I say doing a good job is being an actual protector of your community, I think it's a it's a good job. I think it's a great job. It's a and we need I'm speaking as if I'm still a police officer, but <laughs> we, need, we need um Good people, people of good character, to uh, to take that step forward and 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 get into that profession. And I, I was very heartened by uh, a conference I went to at a university, where a lot of younger people uh, are are coming in, and they're coming in with their eyes open. They don't have um, uh, any misconceptions about the challenges, those type of challenges. But the, the people who I spoke before, they spoke, who I, the group that I spoke before, these young people, they wanted to know, okay, we know about the good. Tell us about the bad and how we can handle the bad and how what we should expect. And those uh, you should expect to run into some bad people, some bad cops. But you need to know how to handle yourself Uh And to handle them, you have to know how to handle them. And uh, you need, if you are uh, the type of person who likes to really get into and get involved with the community and and walk out and get out of that police car and walk around and, and speak to people and engage them, that's how changes are made. And if you're that type of person, please take the job. I, I think it's a great job, men and uh, men and women, and I would love to see a, a, a big influx of, of people who are, uh, they can be activists, but people who are committed to making our communities better to join the police departments, uh, the police departments in their community, absolutely.
1: And along with that, what advice would you give to, um, let's say, a young person who's Kind of mind their own business, walking down the street, riding a bike down the street, and they get they get approached by an officer.
2: Mm-hmm. I would say um, be be level headed. Don't panic. Uh, if if they're uh, the police officer is asking you questions about anything, answer the questions as best you can. Uh, don't be confrontational. Uh, defend yourself and defend your position. I'm not saying to be mealy mouthed and just go along with anything the police officer says, but be respectful. Um, the officer is respectful. You be respectful. But, again, even if the officer is disrespectful, don't try to meet um, bad conduct with bad conduct because you're, you're going to wind up losing, especially if it's a one-on-one situation. Uh, just be mindful, know your surroundings, pay attention to what the officer says. Don't be intimidating, but look at the officer. Look, see, see how, get, a, get a visual on him. Look at his name tag. Look at his badge number. Try to make a mental note of, of those type of things. Um, very, very important, very important. And if, the, and if the officer is, is begins to treat you poorly, speaks to you poorly in a disrespectful manner, note that, uh, don't be confrontational with the officer then, but take, if uh, you have a chance to get out of that situation, uh, report that as soon as possible uh, to a police commander, not a street supervisor, a police commander
1: okay the Internal Bureau. okay very cool very cool well okay tell us what you have going on and where people can connect with you on social media do you have any live events coming up what do you want folks to know well i there's there is going to be a large on a big article uh
2: concerning my book uh about uh, police abusive authority that's going to be coming out i'm not at liberty to give the name of the, the magazine, that wow. it's going to be featured in. Um, but uh, I am on Facebook, uh, Norman uh, Norman Carter. You can find me on Facebook. Uh, you can get a, a a thumbnail sketch of my book by going to Amazon.com, pulling up uh, either my name, Norman A. Carter Jr., or the title of my book. Uh, Which is the long blue walk my journey as a philly cop, which will give you about eight pages of insight into my police career i invite everyone to to look that especially for the initial biography Which tells you not only where I came from but what I am about as a police officer or was about as a police officer and um, through those uh, You can reach me Via Facebook, I'm available for conferences. I love to speak to groups, small groups. Uh, At any time, small groups, big groups, colleges, universities, I've done that. Uh, I I look forward to doing that. Um, And you can reach me at uh, ennui45 at hotmail.com.
1: Okay, repeat the email address again.
2: He is an Edward and is a Nathan and is a Nathan, you united, four I Isaac. I'm sorry, four or five, at at hotmail.com.
1: Awesome, awesome. Well, Mister Norman A. Carter Jr., thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate you taking the time and sharing with us. Guys, I want to make sure that you follow Norman A. Carter, Jr. He's on Facebook. You can follow his author page on um, Amazon because then you can keep up with when he's got new books and and things of that nature coming out. And thank you. Thank you so much for spending the time and sharing so much of your knowledge and experience with us.
2: Thank you. It was great speaking with you, Michelle. Thank you very, very much
0: that's our show this week guys you can reach out to me online at urbanbookeditor.com or on facebook and instagram as urbanbookeditor send me a note i'd love to hear from you feel free to send in some topics you'd like us to cover on the show again i'd like to send a big shout out to beverly black tribe family channel and all the members of tribe family channel it is a pleasure and an honor to be associated with her and that great family of programs now, make sure you guys tune into the show on July 27th when my guest will be lead guitarist of Climax, Cheryl Cooley. You can find us here every other Friday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Mountain, 7 p.m. Central, and 8 p.m. Eastern. Just go to bit.ly, that's bit.ly, slash somewhere in the middle radio. You can also find us at bit.ly bit.ly slash somewhere in the middle podcast. Let's continue the conversation. You guys be good, stay mindful, and remain prayerful. Peace and blessings, y'all.